Hello and welcome to Animism Listening to the Land podcast. Here once more with Nathan Olmeyer and... Phil Tkachik. Yeah, so I want to welcome you all. Um, we've had some feedback from some of our listeners that y'all want to get to know us a little bit better. And so with that um, intention of getting to know us a little bit better, I'm actually, we're going to actually do this podcast episode a little bit differently and where I'm going to interview Phil. And so, Phil... Mm. My first question I have for you is, why do you carry an animistic worldview? That's a really good question, and I think I would say it's it's a natural uh, extension of my experience with the natural world, and um, I've spent so much time studying the land and studying wildlife and studying animal behavior and and also just being attentive to myself and how I feel interacting with wild ones and it just seems like such a natural fit and a natural extension of my experience to see through the eyes of an animist. I hope that's a good answer for that question. Yeah, absolutely. So, talking about seeing the world through the eyes of an animist, when did you step into that worldview? When did you step into the world of animism? Yeah, I, I think I've really had several pivotal points in my life where I felt and realized the aliveness of the world and the other beings around me. And, and the first the first one is... Um, really one of the very earliest memories I have was being maybe three or four years old on a walk with my grandmother in Poland and we were in a rather urban landscape. It was a little green space along a river flowing through our our hometown which is a small city in the northwest of Poland and we were walking along on this beautiful spring morning and the sun was shining and we were walking along this little strip of river that um, on one side had a little arching concrete bridge over it and we had stopped and I was remember I was very enamored by what I was seeing and the sunlight was coming through underneath the bridge hitting the the river and the light was bouncing back and it was creating these light dancing light ripples underneath the bridge and immediately I was captured by that. And I, as an adult, I'm still captured by that when I get to see that sort of play of light. And I remember also looking down into the river, and it wasn't a very fast-flowing river, but there was definitely movement. There was a current, and closest to shore, the water was almost still, and there was these little black tadpoles swimming around, and I was very taken by them. And then above that, on one side, kind of almost behind me, was this very large linden tree that was leaning out over the river. And I remember being struck by this sense in my body, this understanding that all of these beings were alive. I could feel it. It wasn't a thought. It wasn't a, something I was like imagining or that I was told. It was just this very embodied sense that all these beings were alive. 
you know, that the tadpoles were alive, that the grass that I was standing on was alive, that the linden tree was alive, but also that the water was alive and the light was alive. And even the bridge, the concrete bridge that was arching over this little river was also alive and was a, a being that had, to some ex extent, an experience, right? And um, some form of, if you want to call it, an awareness. I remember being very struck by that, and strangely, that memory has persisted, you know, well into my, now my late 30s, right? But um, I also went through a transition point in my later youth and in my teens where I felt a disconnect from that sense of just understanding that the world was alive. It was really in my young adulthood and then and now in a very full way that I, I feel very connected to that way of being and that way of seeing. Um, and I think, you know, part of that has just been a lots of experiences with the natural world, but part of it has also been um, running into people who have had similar life experiences, including yourself, and sharing those stories and being in a, in a common in a common language and in a common community of people who have had these experiences and who not only are willing to share them, but that don't see them as somehow crazy or wrong or weird, but just inherently a natural part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And that story I heard, there was this knowing when you were, just a deep sense of knowing when you were a child. And then there was that period of a forgetting. Yes. And what followed that forgetting was a remembering. Yes. And I'm curious about how that remembering affected you. Do you recall any, like, emotions or any ways in which that, how that moved you? I do. I do. And it was a really interesting shift in my life. It was right around the time I was between 16 and 17 years old, I something happened. Um, I had moved, I was living in Southern California at the time, I had moved to Washington State, to the wild green Pacific Northwest, and I started having this very privileged experience of being able to be in wild places by just walking to them. I lived in a very, very urban place in California, and I felt more disconnected there whereas here I could literally take a walk and in 10 minutes I would be in a a large park or a state forest and um, that opportunity which was present and available easily available to me even when I wasn't didn't have a car to drive or anything like that really um, encouraged me to foster a relationship with the wild beings with the trees and I started to actually really pursue naturalist studies which I know that we'll talk about more over many episodes of this podcast but um, in studying the natural world I was also spending a lot of time with wild beings and not just in large wilderness areas but also in my backyard also in spending time with urban trees or urban hummingbirds or you know, various creatures and they reminded me that 
they are alive, you know, even even the the beings like the local lakes and the rivers and the sometimes even the the storms and the cloud formations, like all these forms of nature were I was starting to remember were also beings with their own experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's something about being re-immersed in, in a place where wild beings were more accessible to me that also helped me to remember. And I did have a love affair with certain wild places in California. It's just that it was more difficult and I felt under-resourced. I didn't know very, really, I didn't know anybody when I lived down there that was even interested in the natural world, except for me. And I think that sense of alienation prevented me from deepening my relationships to some extent. But in moving up here, things started to shift. And I also went around that same age, like 16, 17, I was um, born into a Catholic family and I was raised to be a Catholic and I actually abandoned my faith and and stopped being religious completely but I definitely also had a rich spiritual experience of you know ver- various aspects of life and and also you know animism is something that's very intimately tied to my deeper relationships with with all of life mm-hmm. and so yeah it's it was interesting to shift from uh, the way I was raised being religious to to being feeling more connected but not necessarily being a person of faith anymore mm. Mm. Hmm. that's so interesting and that actually kind of guides into my next question of in what ways does an animistic cosmology feed you and bring you that sense of fulfillment? Yeah, I, I think I think I can be more concise about this this question because it really is about my sense of belonging. You know, it animism is is the the experience of belonging in a in a great family, in a great community. And when I say community I don't just mean humans, I mean the other than humans. You know, all the wild beings, all the wild peoples, from cedar trees and hemlocks to salmon and bald eagles to you know, the the rains and um, all of the the different wild phenomenon and wild beings that are around us, I, I feel a sense of belonging, of being included, of being part of this place. And you and I had a great experience sitting in the forest today together, and I was reminded again, and I'm reminded again and again of how when I take the time to connect, I feel like I belong. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the cosmology is all about, the animist cosmology is about being in relationship, and through that, having a sense of self, which is based in belonging, based Mm -hmm. in place. Would you be willing to to share about a land that you belong to and a family within a land that you belong to? Yeah, I, I think there are different um, there are different layers to that, and I would really love in the future for us to do a, a whole podcast just on 
getting claimed by land, as Dr. Martin Shaw describes it, and and that sense of belonging. But um, if I were to be to give the Cliff Notes version and be very concise, uh, I would say, like right here where we are recording right now in the Snoqualmie Valley is a place I feel like I belong, and the greater Snoqualmie Valley is the place that I, I belong in in a sense of being part of the family of wild beings, you know. I, I feel connected to certain wild places here, but also just having a sense of growing roots here, which is, uh, which is saying a lot because I've been a person that has moved around a lot in my life moved from a completely different country to this country and from a different state to this state and moved many to many, many different cities. And now I've been around this valley for an extended period and I feel this sense of rooting mm. happening. I also decided in the not-so-distant past to have a child here. And there's something about when you bring another human into the world that also helps you to have a stronger sense of place Mm-hmm. and belonging mm-hmm. I can definitely say more on that in, at another time but um, yeah and then there are certain landscapes that I feel have claimed me as well that I don't necessarily live in like there's a place that um, I'm intending for us to travel to soon in the next couple of months out in central Washington which has a incredible power over me and an ability to shift my consciousness into a, a very receptive attuned state and and for reasons I, I can't fully articulate in words I have always felt like I've been claimed by that place like I belong there in a way that is beyond words and there may be maybe one or two other places like that and then there's lots of places that I love and that I like to travel to but but I think the question you're asking is about a deeper relationship than that no. yeah I'm curious, how do you know, like you personally, like how do you know that a land has claimed you? How do you know that you belong to, let's say, the Snoqualmie Valley? Yeah, that, you know, and that's a very hard thing to articulate. Um, and I really love the way Martin Shaw has phrased it in his book, Scatterlings, which is really a book about coming back to the awareness of how to belong to place, how to be claimed by place. And he's, he makes the distinction of there's a difference between being of a place and being from a place. And, you know, like I can say I'm um, from northwestern Poland orig- originally, or I can say I'm from southern California because I lived there for a certain number of years. But there's something deeper about belonging like really belonging to a place rather than just having spent time there you're not a tourist and you're not traveling through you're like one of the wild creatures you are indebted and you're tied you're sort of roped into these other relationships and it's very hard we do we have such a poor language in English to describe these kinds of relationships and this is a very rich way of being in relationship. And, um, yeah, I'm even struggling now to find the words to really describe it to you, but it feels like uh, no matter where I travel to in the world, these places will always have 
a part of me. Mm. And and that's how I felt. I have traveled to other countries as an adult. I've been to Central Europe. I went to Peru for a short time. And, and I always felt like coming back here, like seeing Tahoma, seeing Mount Rainier, I felt like I was home. Mm. And not just home as being a place that rests my head, but home as a place I really belong, uh, that I'm I'm coming back into a, this space where my my relations, the, the human and the other than human are there to like embrace me and to sort of take me back in. And I feel like if we come back around to this question in a future podcast, I might be able to articulate it even better. Right yeah. now I feel like I'm still floundering for words, but... Um, mm. But yeah, it's a good question. It's a question I think about a lot. Mm. And I appreciate having some space to try and articulate it as uh, best I can. So that was really beautiful. Thank you. Very beautiful. And yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious if you could dive into more about what are the, the challenges and carrying an animistic cosmology. Yeah, well, this is this is kind of getting into the uncomfortable side of things, and uh, one of the challenges is that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what animism is, and also, you know, a huge part of the challenge is that we are members of a culture that is um, very unrooted, and that is. A culture that is a colonizing culture so it's a culture that comes in and it basically destroys the resident cultures there takes over takes the resources and we've been doing that for a long time right like our our cultural ancestors have been doing that for a long time and even where you and I are sitting right now this valley is occupied land by native people you know and so there's there's a challenge there in um, trying to speak to our fellow members of our culture, the, the Western culture, about animism because it contradicts some of the fundamental stories we have about how we are in the world. Like we've brought this up in the cosmology episode a little bit about how in Western culture there's this sense that the world is there for us to conquer and rule and to use as we see fit, right? And just like the Bible says about all the creatures and the fish were put there to be used by humans, they were put there for our use. And animism does not agree with that. It does not hold that view. Animism is very democratic in a very inclusive way, right? Where the eagle and the cedar tree and the mountain and the river all have as much say as you do so it's democratic in a in a very broad sense and that's hard to um converse about with people of our culture because most people don't believe that there's a strong sense in our culture that humans are superior and we don't even question it right like i hear so often people say well we the dumber animals we eat cows because they're dumber than we are or you know that's that's why we get to do that. That's why we get to kill fish and eat them. That's why we we can do these things because we're smartest, we're the best, and we're the most superior. And animism doesn't hold to those tenets, those ideas at all. 
So it can be really difficult to have these conversations. And I know you and I even hesitated to start this podcast because of that, because of that challenge. But we trudge on courageously anyway, <laughs> because it's important, right? Like we feel it's important. So yeah, yeah, it can be, it can feel alienating sometimes because it, it can feel like you're the only one that's speaking up for the other voices. You're the only one speaking up for the other beings that we're naturally in relationship with. So that can be challenging. But that's part of the goal of this podcast is to build community around this, to build, to make the opportunity to articulate these ideas more accessible to everybody and to to shake off some of the stigma of this way of seeing because it's not uh, it's a, not an anachronism. It's not something that's just the useless piece of our past. It's actually an inherently human way of experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit into those, into that statement of courageously trudge on because it's important. Yeah. You tell me to to you, why why is why are these conversations important? Why are you actively engaging in this project? Yeah, that is a really good question. I, I think I really genuinely feel like I'm being nudged and pushed to speak up by my other than human relations, you know? And that sounds strange and maybe in some ways, it almost sounds arrogant, like I have any right to speak up for them. But I really feel like that's part of why I have a human voice, is to articulate to my fellow humans about these other beings that I'm in, I'm in relationship with. And they're also in relationship with, but maybe they're not choosing to have a conscious relationship with. And that this is a way for all of us to create a better, healthier way of being on this planet, a more holistic way of being human, of being a holy human. And I think that in our culture, we're, we're not really whole human beings. We're very fractured. You know, we're missing a lot of pieces of being human that were naturally part of our ancestors' experience. We don't have real community. We don't have a village to hold us and to bring us up and to support us and to catch us when we're falling and we don't and part of the beauty of animism is we remember that we also have a greater community that can catch us and hold us and and that's already participating with us we just need to learn to acknowledge them all of them and listen that's why we named this listening to the land podcast because the part of the most challenging thing for us as members of the western colonizing culture is to remember and relearn how to listen and then in the listening, we also have a, I feel like we have a duty to then speak up and say, hey, you know, these other beings have rights and these other beings need to be acknowledged and respected and gratitude needs to be given to these other lives that support us. Hmm. Uh, I have two follow-up questions. Yes. Um, the first being, you, in your last answer you spoke to being caught by community and then the recognition of now that we aren't in those village lifestyles 
that animism brings into that other than human community. So I'm curious if uh, you're willing to share a story or share um, another being, an other than human being, who has caught you when you were falling. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been more than one, but the one that comes to mind right now and the one that actually has helped to inspire this podcast to be created at all is um, Raven and my relationship with Ravens. And at a really pivotal time in my life, um, shortly after I moved to Washington and I had just finished my senior year of high school, so I finished that last year of high school here, I was going through this tremendous transformation of remembering and reconnecting to the natural world. And I actually did um, a fasting quest up on a, one of the local mountains. And um, in that process, I was really trying to seek a form of initiation to, to bring me into adulthood, to help me transition into adulthood. And I learned some hard lessons about not trying to do that yourself <laughs> um, and how it's often more successful to, to get a community of humans to help you to facilitate that as well. But, but some wild beings stepped up and, and really helped me pull some incredible lessons from that experience. And that experience included hiking 23 miles without food, which was a very intense experience. But um, ravens were very much part of that journey. And they, they came and um, basically spoke to me and, and like came very close to me and reminded me that I belonged and that I was also one of their people and that they had things to show me and they had things to teach me and they would act as a guide in my life. And they have in many, many ways. I have many stories about interactions with ravens helping me transition through all sorts of parts of my life and, and r reminding me of belonging and reminding me of being part of a greater process than just my own little ego and my own little sense of how I wish life was and how I, you know, just the little desires I have for myself. Um, and so Raven and Ravens have been a tremendous teacher for me and they have been one of the ones to catch me and to teach me in so many ways. I, I know through this podcast series I'll continue to share stories about Ravens and but they are definitely one of those animals and one of those presences, those wild beings that have shaped me tremendously. And uh, so far, I only have one tattoo on my body, and it's of a raven right now, and it's my first tattoo. And that shouldn't be surprising, given how influential they have been on, on me and shaping who I am and my sense of connectedness and my sense of belonging and um, so many, so many things. Hmm. Would you be willing to share uh, one of those stories of how they caught you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll have to take a moment and think about which one would be most appropriate right now. I, I think 
you know, that's a, it's really challenging to, to just pick one. And I think that, um, the story that comes from me, from, from the, the thing I was just sharing about having done a fasting quest is the, the way that ravens showed up for me during that time, which was really profound, was I had um, hiked across this alpine trail for 23 miles, and when I arrived at the pickup point where um, I was going to get picked up, I sat on this boulder wrapped in a blanket, and I watched this wave of clouds roll over this ridge, and it was literally like water rolling over a ridge in slow motion. And suddenly I was inundated in this fog and I couldn't see more than 50 feet in any direction. And I was in, in wilderness, so it was a very strange feeling. Um, and I suddenly was really struck by my sense of being alone and loneliness and in a way that was so visceral, you know, that it was kind of terrifying, to be honest with you. And there was no sound in that fog except for in the distance and coming closer and closer over time were these ravens that were calling to me. And they were literally making me feel like they were the only being at that time that was rooting me to my relationship to the world. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I felt like I was just going to float off in this fog and disappear. Like... I was just feeling so alone and yeah so there's there's a deep deep intimacy there and and I can't I don't have words to describe how in that simple experience there was so much wild magic in it mm. and that I felt like the ravens were very intentional about pulling me in and like catching me from feeling totally lost yeah um I don't know if my words do do the experience justice, but that's that's the best I can do. I think at, at this moment to try and describe it. Yeah, and that story just was captured by the imagery mm. and the visualization that your your words offered me, and this image of you, like in this cloud mm -hmm. and upon this boulder, and you just beginning to just kind of rise and just go off into the ether. So then here's a raven almost like grabbing your legs and saying no and yeah. catching you by pulling you back and grounding you. And yeah. That's, wow, that's a really powerful story. Mm, yeah, it really felt it really felt like that, like raven was pulling me and reminding me that, you know, even if I'm like floating slightly, that I can still be connected, right? It's, mm. it's the not forgetting that we're connected. Mm. That was such a big lesson in that experience. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Honestly, that actually kind of leads me into my second follow-up question before, <laughs> which is, you spoke to gratitude and animism. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can weave those two together and kind of what's the connection between those two beings. Yeah. I know that in one of our previous episodes, we, I think it may have been the very first episode, we were talking about some animist practices right and that one of them was like reciprocity and then another one was um attentiveness and listening and, and gratitude is is a in my mind is a form of reciprocity it's a form of giving back for 
for the ways that you're already supported and there's something simple and very powerful about giving thanks and I've had the privilege the tremendous privilege of hearing Chief Jake Swamp who's um, a chief of the Mohawk part of the Iroquois Nation actually give the Thanksgiving address in the original language and acknowledge each aspect of the world you know the trees and the celestial bodies and the waters and the animals and and uh, something he he said after that to all of his listeners was everything has a de desire to be appreciated and that's an interesting philosophical stance but it's also something that from the experiential standpoint as an animist who's in an embodied embodied experience right who's out there having these active relationships when you give thanks very often some wild being comes and acknowledges that and I know you and I have had lots of experiences like that I'm sure we could both share tons of different examples of that but you know when you take a moment and you're even in an urban park and you're sitting under a tree and you take a moment and you think the tree for the shade during a hot day or you think the tree and the grasses for the oxygen that they're providing to you very often in some way some being will come and acknowledge that it could be a ladybug landing on you it could be the breeze blowing the leaves a little bit while the moment before it was still and it's really up to you to feel what that response is and and you know how what whatever being may come and acknowledge that you know it's up to you to interpret that but it's surprising how consistent it is so many people have this experience that when they take the time to give thanks the world responds mm -hmm. and it's not really a matter of believing it's a matter of experience mm -hmm. it happens and you just have to be attentive and you have to be open to that response coming from the land in some way mm. Mm. all right so my next question you actually touched on this a little bit in the beginning of this recording and i'm hoping that um this question will allow you to weave it together more and so i knew you identify as both a naturalist and an animist and i'm wondering how these two titles that you carry are connected in your in your day-to-day -day practice yeah I I think it brings me back to a question you had earlier about how did I come back around to the connectedness of experiencing the living world right and and animism being that a description of that experience um, being a naturalist is being a person who studies the natural world who learns the names of the beings and their relationships from a scientific standpoint and that's such a natural pairing with animism because animism is about our relationships to the world right and each traditional culture had their own traditions about what that protocol looked like about how to honor those relationships but all of them acknowledged that there were relationships there 
And in order to acknowledge relationships, you also have to be able to identify who you're in relationship with. And so as a naturalist, you need to be able to know, am I having a conversation with crow or raven? Am I having a an intimate moment with a cedar tree or a Douglas fir tree? And if you're unable to make that distinction, then how can you know what sort of relationship you're in? How can you know how to honor those relationships? And so there's an inherent pull towards or a drive to learn more about the natural world if you're going to practice this way of seeing the world mm-hmm. you know, through the eyes of an animist. Like, I, don't, I don't think you can be... Um, you can stay in an ignorant place and not know anything about the natural world and be an animist because some being is going to pull you on that journey and they're going to ask of you to be more attentive and to be more informed. So you can start wherever you are. You can start with not knowing the names of any anything, but you know the name of the sun or the clouds. You know you, you can at least say clouds or sun, so that's a starting place, right? Or mm-hmm. you can say tree or you can say bird. I mean... Those are still starting places, but when you look at a lot of traditional cultures, they were very, very aware of all the diversity of beings around them. And they had their own language and words in that language to describe those beings. So I really want to discourage listeners from imagining that traditional cultures were ignorant of the beings around them because that's actually a Western projection where, you know, in in the past, sometimes uh, tribal cultures were described as primitive in a derogatory sense, as if they were ignorant. And, and that's not actually true. I mean, so many traditional cultures are incredibly sophisticated in their language and in their culture, specifically around relationships with the other than human. And so inherently they had to be good naturalists right you can't not be and be in a reciprocal honoring relationship with the other than human Mm. wow thank you phil i deeply appreciate your time um i think we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up here even though i could keep asking you questions (laughs) all day long um so i want to thank you i want to thank the space for holding us I want to thank this mic for recording us. Yes. Um, And yeah, I want to thank the listeners for tuning in and getting to know Phil. Yeah, this has been uh, fun and a little bit more challenging for us as well. It's good. I feel like we're growing through this process. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And y'all be on the lookout for Phil interviewing me in episode five. Episode five. (laughs) Coming soon.